morning. It is Wednesday, November 9, 2016. Welcome to CBS This Morning. Donald Trump wins the presidency in one of the greatest upsets in election history. I was not in college during the 2016 election. Actually, I had just graduated. I graduated in the spring of 2016 and was in New York. Did you watch the election results that night? or I did. I watched the election results that night. My roommates were also very invested at that time. They were leaning really hard for Trump. I was more neutral. I not a fan of either party, so I was significantly less invested at that time. But I still stayed up and I watched, and it was a real nail-biter. And the students, actually, I was surprised. I was working at an elementary school at that time as an art teacher, and the students were really interested and invested in politics, and they are kindergarten through fourth grade. But I think that just goes to show how intense the news cycles were and the prevalence of how intense it was for the community at large when fourth graders are talking about it. The South Bronx, it, it was the most impoverished congressional district in America at that time. A lot of parents were really relying on different sort of benefits. And so even though the president doesn't actually have a say over who maintains housing and other social programs in New York City, I think parents were really talking a lot about politics at that time. I just, I had a completely different election experience. Oh. Even though I was in Arkansas, you know, the rural South. Every, it was like a funeral happened. That's how it felt in New York City as well after the election. Mm -hmm. New York City is a weird place because when something dramatic happens, the energy in the entire city changes. Yeah. The first time I had experienced that was actually on 9-11 where it's a solemn day across America, but I had never experienced a 9-11 in New York before and it was different. Because the city generally feels very electric and that day it felt oddly quiet and city that never sleeps but it felt still that day and the day after the election felt similarly it just felt more still and quiet and people were sad and it was a cloudy day and people wore dark clothes and it was it was a it was a bad day yeah in 2016 the russian government attacked our democracy they interfered in the presidential election in sweeping and systematic fashion. They hacked emails, spread lies on social media. And made hundreds of contacts with the Trump campaign. All is a part of a massive covert operation. A symposium is generally just a discussion focused on a topic. Sometimes it can look like a panel and other times it can look like a presentation, but really the hallmark of what makes it a symposium is the discussion. Our symposium this fall will be a fun hybrid. The last several years with COVID, we have only been able to do our symposia virtually, which had some real perks because we could open the discussion up to more than people who are just in our geographic area. It is a pleasure to welcome today David Sloss, Professor Sloss. We are joined by Professor David Sloss. Dr. David Sloss. Professor Sloss, who is the John A. and Elizabeth H. Sutro Professor of Law at Santa Clara University School of Law. And for today's virtual talk, to discuss his upcoming book, Tyrants on Twitter. Tyrants on Twitter. Tyrants on Twitter. Protecting Democracies from Information Warfare, which that offers a look inside the weaponization of social media. The first detailed analysis of how Chinese and, and Russian agents uh, weaponized Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to subvert the liberal international order. Tyrants on Twitter. This is the book he will be talking to us about today.
All right. Thank you very much. And let me just say it's really a pleasure to join you here today. Uh, David, turning it over to you. I picked this topic. I picked this book because I think, like many Americans, I've been very concerned about the state of our democracy over recent years. We've seen a lot of things happen that I think no one ever expected to see happen, from the pandemic to January 6th to the 2020 election fraud claims, all of these things have been very dramatic and challenging to process. So it seemed like with that and with everything that had happened the last few years, it was a really timely topic to think about. This is Julia McClure. I am currently the editor-in-chief of Volume 57 of the New England Law Review. I am from Maine and more recently from New York City, and I take the red line every day. I'm your host, Blythe Bull, and this is On Remand. (laughs) Uh, My relationship with social media. I guess technically I did have a MySpace for a very brief minute, but I was afraid of it. So I deleted it myself after a week. My... After being at summer camp with friends, uh, I wanted to keep in touch with across the state. But I was so afraid of the stranger danger and having this weird guy Tom as my friend, which people who are old enough to have MySpace know that everyone was friends with Tom, the founder. (laughs) That is your first friend on MySpace. And I was so weirded out by that that I deleted it myself after one week. Even when Uber had first come out, which I laugh about this now, I was like, absolutely not. You want me to get in a car with with a stranger that I ordered from the internet? Never. Today, your next adventure might just be one match away. Before Tinder, way, way back, wooing a mate wasn't quite as easy. By download it, you upload your best photos, you market yourself, just sit and wait for men to swipe you and then start a conversation with you. In 2012, Tinder changed the game, making it easier than ever to meet someone new. That is where I met my husband, it's Tinder, Um, which is kind of ironic and a little funny. As it turns out, I was really surprised. Tinder was an app, a social media app, that was referenced in the book as being used by the Labour Party. Uh, The Labour Party used Tinder in order to try to garner support, which is fascinating because you would not think that a dating app would be the place where you would have information warfare happening, but really no social media is is perfectly safe from this kind of manipulation. I was pretty paranoid about the internet and social media, and I, I still am to a degree. I was worried about people who accepted friend requests from strangers. I still do not do that. I was very, very sort of private, and I make sure that I have very high privacy settings. Social media for me has a very specific purpose, and that is only keeping in touch with people who live far away. It's a hotbed for debate. It has become the public forum which is fascinating and a little bit horrifying. Ukraine wants peace. And we have seen who is the only one who wants war, his war. But we will not let this entity prevail over us, even though it's the largest state in the world. At the time that I first reached out to Professor Sloss, the Ukrainian invasion had just begun. And there was a lot of discussion about whether the information we were receiving from Russia and Ukraine was accurate. 
what was propaganda, what was not. And something that the book really highlights well, which is that news sources have to also get their news from somewhere. And there is an element of fact checking, but with these 24 hour news cycles, with social media being as prevalent as it is, information is spreading so much faster. And there isn't always time to really trace a source all the way back, especially if it's global news or news that is happening away from eyewitnesses directly. Because nothing is black and white, and oftentimes when a major event like this happens, people really want to put it into boxes of good guys and bad guys and who is right and who is wrong. When you pick a side like that, you end up picking also which news sources you are willing to believe. And confirmation bias is really powerful. Even if you're aware of it, it's hard to resist it. It's one of those things that's particularly important in a democratic system like ours. Democracies are fragile. And when you have this polarization and this sense that some things are truth and some things are not truth and you kind of choose which things you're willing to believe, you're in a really risky place. <laughs> and that's something that gets discussed in the book pretty pretty much at length, where it is there's a lot of different sort of campaigns and groups of people who have figured out how to harness this power of social media and essentially stage public discussions to appear and garner support for these ideas and make it seem like certain ideas are more popular than they are. Drinking methanol, ethanol, or bleach does not prevent or cure COVID-19 and can be extremely dangerous. People tend to think, oh, there might be something to that. So you can take a very unpopular idea, and if you can make it seem like enough people believe it, it will eventually gain more credibility because at the end of the day, uh, perception is king. Today, the January 6th committee You're all freaking fake news. methodically laying out your traitors to America. How President Trump But this election is now over. Can't say that. Summoned an armed mob. Congress has certified the results. I don't want to say the election's over. I just want to say to Washington, D.C. When you're interacting with strangers, there's no way you can really know whether or not that's a real person or if that is a, a catfishing account, more or less, or an account where I'm trying to remember the term from the book that he used. Oh, I've got something written down. I'm trying to remember, there's also a glossary in the back of the book. Oh, which there you is go. Very handy. Thank you, Professor Sloss. There are various ways that people impersonate others on the internet and... Oh, um, oh, bots, fictitious user accounts, imposter accounts, stolen hacked accounts, or rental accounts. I am thinking of the imposter accounts and the fictitious accounts, gotcha. where people can appear as others, or but in a way that's very believable, where it seems like they are a unique person. And even the rental accounts, same kind of idea, where it's... You gain credibility from real individuals, but is the individual actually real? That's a lot harder to verify. Okay, so what's a catfish? My sister, as a joke with her friend, made a fake boyfriend. Um, catfish is someone who pretends to be someone they're not, using Facebook or other social media to create false identities. Which she had on her Facebook account for years, and this account didn't have a picture, like, she had a fairly unbelievable name and she was dating him quote unquote for six or so months and then she eventually decided she was ready to get rid of him and she staged a public breakup a tragedy it was it was a tragedy there were a lot of jokes about how she never sees him and it's like he's not even there like a lot of innuendos referencing the fact that this 
entity didn't exist. But people believed it. One of my mom's good friends, who is actually an attorney, very bright man by all accounts, has his PhD as well, incredibly bright, messaged my sister saying, boys really suck after the public breakup. And that just goes to show how easy it is to believe any of these things might exist. That's why I think also we have to give credit where credit is due, where it's incredibly hard and it's not a judgment call when people are tricked by these different things. Because it's natural to want to believe that people are real. Yeah, that's just not always the case. Troll farms and these various things. And I don't know what a professional job is an internet troll would entail. <laughs> Funny as the terms sound sometimes, it's actually it's fascinating how serious it is and also how effective they are. How has your Facebook timeline worked in the past like three years? Oh my gosh, an absolute mess on a regular basis. It is definitely effective. And as he highlighted certain accounts as well, which I thought was really interesting that are now known to be linked to these, these Russian groups. And I recognized some of the names. They've definitely come through on my social media. But they were accounts that I was familiar with. And I was really interested in the fact that they, recognizing that I, I have most certainly seen posts, these pro-Russia groups, and how they are kind of working from both sides in order to achieve this ultimate goal for Russian foreign policy is really both impressive and a little jarring at the same time. There's a quote in the book that I thought was particularly interesting where Russia is more like a hurricane. It's hitting fast and hard and it's more overt and hard to ignore. Whereas China is playing more of a subtle long game of trying to charm people instead. He's talking about tactics on how to interfere outside, but also how to maintain control inside of a country. China in particular does a really good job with the censorship and restricting access to free discourse as a way of broadly controlling the people, but in a way that is not so offensive as it will cause a problem. One of the examples that he brought up that I found really interesting was the WeChat app and how across the country, you know, you have Chinese nationals who have families still in China trying to communicate back and forth and someone who perhaps lives in California talking to his family in mainland China may bring up some radical ideas or things that the Chinese government might not be interested in, but the government is surveilling those things. So they limit his access to these group chats and suddenly he can't be in the family group chat because he's posted too many things that the government would consider radical or otherwise unpleasant. As long as he continues to try to post those things, his access is limited. If he tries to communicate enough things that are within the acceptable kinds of conversation, more small talk, more how's the weather, how is the family, blah, 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 he gains access back to that group chat. That's not the kind of thing that most people are entirely bothered by. They look at it as an inconvenience, not really seeing the big picture, which is that this is more than an inconvenience. This is approved ideas by the government. And that's a lot more concerning. You can't say things in those casual spaces or you limit the way that you speak in casual spaces. Eventually, you will stop talking about those things. 
that's really the goal that Sloss highlights in the book, that China is just trying to change the culture slowly but surely, whereas Russia is really controlling the narrative actively. Professor Sloss thankfully agreed to let this wonderful book be the topic of our symposium this fall. This year, we are still hosting it on Zoom because that is such an incredible asset to really broaden the conversation. But also, we are having an in-person element here on campus so that people can join and continue that conversation, discuss questions with their colleagues, with their peers. Folks can join from around the country or wherever it is that they are. Excellent. Woo! Okay, I think that's everything. I think we did it. Thank you to our editor-in-chief, Julia McClure, for joining us today. Professor David Sloss is the featured author for our upcoming Fall 2022 Symposium, discussing his most recent publication, Tyrants on Twitter, Protecting Democracies from Information Warfare. The book is available now on Amazon. Our symposium is Monday, October 24th from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You can join our on-campus watch party in the Cherry Room, or watch the live stream from the comfort of your own home by clicking on the link in the episode description. This is On Ramon, an academic podcast produced by the New England Law Review, our flagship publication of New England Law Boston. Featuring professionals, alumni, and forthcoming authors, On Ramon provides student-curated content. All songs and sound bites featured in this episode are permitted for educational purposes in accordance with fair use. For more information about the New England Law Review, you can visit our online journal, The Forum, at www.newenglrev.com. That's newenglrev.com. Thanks for listening.